Our passage this morning is Romans, believe it or not, chapter 9. So I know, shocking, no, I'm already, I went back and checked, just so you know. I, I, I thought I did really good. It only took me eight months to get through Romans 8. But I thought that was, I checked, so you know, we started. So it's, it's not bad. No, it's Romans chapter 9. Um, you know, it's funny. I really felt like after, after this week I thought about it, and I, there's so much in Romans 8. I really kind of wish we could. I mentioned to Ann last week, I wouldn't mind kind of starting all over again, but um, I think in, in, in just uh, the calling our life to, to preach through these books, I think we need to go on. Um, Romans chapter 9, and we're going to try to cover verses 1 through 6 this morning, kind of this introduction into Romans 9 and following. Um, and, you know, it, it's sort of funny. I think in many ways, this, this as we look at what's going on in, in the book of Romans, it is um, so easy to compare it to, to our times today. You know, we live in a very uh, strange and amazing time here in America, isn't it? According to the uh, Pew Research Center, approximately 70% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. 70% of America identifies themselves as Christians. And that, now, just so you know, that includes, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all those, you know, but, but, but all the, if you went and asked them, are you a Christian? 70% would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, yet, in spite of that, 60% of Americans agree with and support same sex marriage. 70% of Americans believe that the Scripture is not the Word of God or only parts of it is the Word of God or unreliable. You think, how does that work? How, how is it that 70% of Americans uh, claim to be Christians and also 70% of Americans believe that the Scripture is not the Word of God or only parts of it are the Word of God reliable? Among those who are uh, part of the denomination, part of that are in the Christian faith, this this is dealing with those in the Christian faith. Of those seventy, uh, those of those uh, people who call themselves Christians, only twenty nine percent believe that this, that that Christianity is the only way of of salvation. That that 65% believe there are many religions that lead to eternal life. Now we're not talking about uh, of all people. We're talking about those who identify themselves as Christians. Uh, 65% or 70% actually together either don't know or believe there are many roads that lead to to salvation. Um, and I could go on. Only. 30% believe that your salvation is dependent upon your faith With, of, of, of the Christians. Yeah, there, are some, there are some confused uh, puppies. Oh, we have a problem, don't we? We have a problem. Uh, and But yet, so did Paul. You know, um, you know, and, and, and we live in a world and, and we're so... I think we're so comfortable with apostasy and we've come somewhat to, to accept it, yet at the same time we kind of deny it. So, so how does this look like? What does this mean for us? And how do we live in this time 
and deal with these issues. And so let's look at Paul's, as Paul looks at Romans chapter 9, as he looks around the world and, and sees um, his nation. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. As I said, we finally finished chapter 8. It only took us seven and a half months. We finally got through chapter 8. And, 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 and we're going to, as we go on, you know, we, we move on with this, with Paul's, this treatise of the gospel. As Paul is dealing with, with this gospel, for, for the gospel, the power of God for, for the salvation, he brings us to this very famous section. As we're talking about Romans 9 to 11. As you know, it's a very interesting and it's very, uh, uh, Divisive, inciting almost. You know, there's there are parts here that um, if you read it in some churches, you can start a riot. You know, you, you probably many of you probably have uh, had this. I'll never forget. I was reading through. A, I'll ne- never forget this. I was reading through Ephesians chapter one one day at a church, the discipleship, and I mean literally reading Ephesians one verse by verse, and I got done and. And some woman was, was so angry. She yelled, don't you tell me that God chose some for salvation and some for others. And literally, not, not even not just reading the words. And I think Romans uh, 9 does that for some. I, I've heard of people who've just read the words and, and, and seen people get upset. Um, in other parts, people believe that Romans 9 to 11 really don't apply to us. And Paul's talking about a different group, a different time. They don't really apply to us at all, so it's good to read, but you know, it's not really important that for, for the, there's, there, there's this attitude well, the, that Romans 1 through 8 applies to us and 12 through 16, but Romans 9 through 11, eh, that's really not about us. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that. It really is a very fascinating and interesting section as we, we deal with Romans. Um, but I think to understand and, and find out where we're going with this, we need to put it in the context of Romans 8. You know, we just finished up Romans 8, and we had this wonderful, wonderful promise in Romans 8. You know, we finished up this book at Romans 8, and we found out that, that in Christ, we found out that we are more than conquerors. That we, could, that we could look around at all the problems going on in the world, at all the, the tribulation, at all the, 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 the uh, uh, distress, all the dangers. We can look at things such as COVID. We can look at all the famines and all the plagues and all the wars. And in Christ Jesus, because of God, because of what He's done, because of His work in us, 
because of the fact that, that, that he foreknew us before the foundation of the world, and for those who foreknew, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And for those who, who predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Because of this, we know that we are more than conquerors. And we said, and remember we said that to be more than a conqueror didn't mean you really, really, really conquer your enemy. To be more than a conqueror is, is not to see that as an enemy to be defeated, but it's an ally. That, that, that because of who Christ is, because of, of, of His work, that even the trials and the troubles, even the, 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 the distress that comes on us is by God's grace. It, 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 we, we should not see this as enemies to be overcome, but as gifts of God to strengthen us. And, and as we said last week, to, to basically to, 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 to tear our affections, uh, affections away from the world. Because we're so given to seeing the world as good and, and so given, as, as lovely and to so love the world that God sends those things to tear our affections away. So they really are not enemies, but, but they are allies. Even those horrible, those things we look at and say, diseases, heartaches, they're allies by God's grace. And so, so we have all of these issues, so we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That if we see everything as coming from God and everything as good from God, then nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, 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 that there's no... There's nothing good or bad or harmful, whatever. All these things are, are bringing us closer to God. So here we stand in this, in this great, great promise that we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And now we have a problem. Because we look around and we see the Jews. And we know, we know that, that, that those who God calls, those who God chooses, He justifies, right? We know that. That's true. Absolutely. Those who God calls and God, just, God chooses, He justifies. We, we build our life on it. We claim this. We know this is true. This is part of that golden chain that we read about, that we hold on to. And, and Paul has just laid our case for our assurance, our hope, on the adoption of God on this, that we can rest our lives and fix our lives on it. But yet, we look around at the Jews and this worm of doubt starts creeping into our assurance. You see, in our church, here we are with this Roman church, with this group of Rome, and we're sitting there, and, and, and we're looking around, and we're mixing, and there's these Jews here, and there's Gentiles, and we're sitting here, and, and, and Paul's just said, nothing to separate from the love of God. Nothing. And yet, Jim over there is a Jew. And every time we get together, Jim brings prayer requests for all of his family who are Jews as well. that are not following Christ. Weren't they called? Weren't they chosen? What happened? What happened to the promises of God in their lives? What about the nation of Israel? 
What's going on here? Paul, help me understand. You just, you just, man, you did a great job of convincing me that nothing, that God is so powerful and so great. But I'm looking at these Jews over here and I'm saying, what about them? So if God can call the nation of Israel and they can fall so far away from God, what about us? And we always say that Israel is a picture of the church, right? That that's an example. You know, we talked about this morning. The, the, the coming to the Red Sea, that's a picture of baptism. You know, the, the blood on the lintel, that's a picture of Christ's death. You know, we, we see that. The manna from heaven, the, 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 all these things, the water from the rock, all these things for us, the church. But look at them now. What's happened to them? So here's this worm of doubt. And you see, and, and beyond that, we were reading through our Bible the other day, and we read Deuteronomy 7. You know, we're, here we are, we're doing our Bible study, we're studying away, and we read Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. And this is what God said, talking to the church, to, to the nation of Israel. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more number than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all nations. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to, to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of, uh, from, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God, look what you did for Israel. You chose them. You chose them. Deuteronomy 14, 2. For you, are, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure and possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. 2 Samuel, verse 7. And what, and what one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make a name for himself and to do great things for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. You have established yourself, you have, I'm sorry, you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O oh Lord, have become their God. So, if God chose His people forever, and God is the same today and yesterday and forever, why do I look around and I see so many Jews, so many of the nation of Israel, not, not worshiping God? What does this do for my security? What, what do I, how, do I, how do I handle that as, as a believer? Now, as you know, of course, in our church today, we just ignore it. Well, they're just out there and we just, we just oh well, that's just the way it is. It's all about us. But Paul says, well, that's not the right attitude. Because when Paul looks around at, at, at these people, it breaks his heart. I mean, literally, it breaks his heart. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He said, God, I, I, I'm going I'm to be flat out honest with you. He said, I have great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. 
you know, to be frank, to be honest with you, I don't know if, if I've ever felt this type of anguish and sorrow over a lost person. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I read this and I'm thinking, and, and I believe this is inspired words of God, even this. And he says, I have unceasing anguish in my heart. And, and, and I feel like, I'll be honest with you, I feel like the, the, I, I'm beginning to learn about this. But, but, but this, this is profound. I mean... Thanks, honey. I, I consider my kids. I think this, this is the closest I'm coming to that unceasing anguish in my heart. Just, just... I hope that they continue to follow the Lord. Paul's heart is breaking over the lostness of the nation Israel. He, he looks at them and, and there's this, there's this he, he says, it's just tearing him apart. As God, as, the, as God the Holy Spirit witness, my heart breaks for my kinsmen, the nation of Israel. And he's not just sorrowful. He's not just, he's not just in anguish. He said, oh, I just want to take their place. Yeah. Oh, that I could just step in and take their place. Yeah. What a love he has for them. Potatoes. And, and before we get into this more, I have a question for you. Who does your heart break for to the point that you would change places with? Who are you praying for? Who, 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 who's, who is this, you know, who, who do you think of that and say, you know, that I, man, this is the person. These are the, the people I love so much. I'm willing to change places with. And and I really hope that that to answer that question is not as big a challenge for you as it is for me. I really do, because I I really struggle with this. You know, and 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 as I said, I, I think I think about my children. You know, and, and, and I, I, I would hope I would feel that way about them. But Paul is talking about the nation of Israel, the Jews. He's talking about all of them out there. And, and, and Paul is speaking about a nation that hates him. Literally, they hate him. Acts 17, 1 through 5. Now, when Paul passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue to the Jews, and Paul went in as his custom. And on three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Jews, and not a few of the leading ladies. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, that is Paul and Silas, out to the crowd. Later on, they were so mad at Paul, so angry at Paul, that later on in that same chapter, verse 13, they followed him to Berea. When the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there to agitate and stir up the crowd. I mean, here are these people that had a life and, and, and they're living their life and, 
they run Paul out of here, but they so hated him. So listen, it's not enough that we run him out of here. We heard he's in Berea. We're gonna take we're gonna take a, a day trip. No, we're not a day trip. It's, it's two days walk. I mean, it's hatred to walk two days there and two days back. <laughs> you're not. You're more just a little upset. Verse eight or chapter eighteen. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a uni, unified attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. And finally, in chapter twenty-three of Acts, verse twelve. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. This is somebody you're not happy with. I'm not going to eat or drink anything till I kill him. You know, I'm, I'm, they're, they're upset. And, the, and they went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, oh, it sounds good. We, we like that. Strictly bound ourselves by this oath to taste no food. So we have killed Paul. These are the people that Paul's talking about. These are the people that Paul is including this heartbreak. He said, Oh, he said, I just have this unceasing anguish, and I would even take their place if they would come to it. And I struggle to feel that way about my neighbor. And really, this is a reflection of the heart of Christ, isn't it? Paul's looking at his kinsmen who hate him and would like to kill him, and he says, I wish I could be accursed for their sake. This should be our prayer, guys. We, we, should, we should read this and come out of this saying, oh, may God give us this kind of heart. May we have this kind of heart. Not just for the people who like us and are nice to us. Not just the people that, that, that are kind and we you know, get along with. But for the poor and needy that we read about in Psalms. All of them. And we have that kind of heart. Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace can we have that. It doesn't come by trying harder. It doesn't come by saying, I mean, I'm really going to try to love my neighbor more. It comes by, by, by God. Change my heart. God, give me that, give me that heart of compassion that, that belongs to you. Let me have those fruits, that fruit of the Spirit that, that, that comes from the, from the Spirit only. You know, this is Paul's heartbreak, but this is not the crux of his problem. This is not where he's at. How can a people that have been given so much not follow God? This is his problem. As, as, as Calvin says, he said, here he is in the midst of the ecstasy for the people, but he wants to come back to, to the real the crux of the issue. How, why are they not following God? They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, According to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. They are Israelites, named for Jacob after he wrestled with God. You ever wonder why they're not called Abrahamites? Isaacites? Jacobites? Israelites. They're Israelites. 
this is, and you look at the story, and there's so much. We, I wish we had more time to go into it. But here, here is, here is uh, Jacob, the, the the deceiver, who who's been deceiving uh, and getting by all of his life, and God's blessed him with with Esau, his enemy. You know, in Jacob's life, he sees Esau as this horrible enemy who's coming to, to take him and defeat him, and to, and all the problems with that. And 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 through and through Esau, and through the threat of that enemy, he completely is stripped of everything. You know, he he he's separated from his family. He's separated from from his wife and kids. He's separated from his wealth. He's separated from his manservants and his his his, his foxes. He has nothing left. Everything is stripped away from it. And he comes face to face with God and wrestles with God and he clings to God all night. And God blesses him with his new name, Israel. And Paul said, they're Israelites. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption. To them belong the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. Not belonged. Notice he doesn't say past tense, does he? To them belong. Present tense, active verse, belong. All these things. The promises. All of it is theirs. And it will always be theirs. You know, there's no replacement theology. God didn't strip them from the promise and give them to another. That's why we have to be grafted in. We're not a new plant. And we'll deal with that much more later on. But but this is Paul's laying the foundation. It belongs, the promises belong to them. God's given it to them. And most importantly, in Paul's mind, he gets to the end, he said, most, he said from, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Jesus Christ came from that nation of men, that Israelites. He said, look at all these blessings. Look at all that God's given them. Yet, the reality is that most of the Jews, most of the nation of Israel of Paul's day hated the gospel. And they saw it as a stumbling block. And it's really amazing when you look at it right now. You look around the world today, and in particular in our country, we have been so incredibly blessed, haven't we? So blessed. I don't care who you are in this country, there is nobody in this country who, who, who can't look at it and say, I've been blessed. I have been blessed. Sorry, you know I don't. I don't care whether whether you're you're grew up in the in the worst slum or 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 the the biggest mansion. You have been blessed by God with so much. You know, I mean, think about it. You can't you, you to to not hear the gospel in America. You almost have to deliberately not want to hear it. It's on the radio. It's on TV. It, the books are sold everywhere. You go into Walmart and there's the Bible. What a blessing it is. And yet, in our day, so many people hate the gospel. And that was Paul's day. An incredible thing is the gospel was given to them first. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To thee, 
Jew first. Oh, and also to the Greeks. They got it too. But it was given to the Jews first. So what does this do for mine and your confidence, our assurance? Paul wants us to know right off, and he's going to say it very clearly. The Word of God has not failed. It is not because the Word of God failed. Paul, but Paul, you just said that, the, that they were given the promise, the covenant, and it looks like it failed, doesn't it? And this is what Paul's going to do in Romans 9. He's going to show us and remind us that it never fails. That it was never about the flesh. It was always about the faith. It has never been not about faith. It has never been because they were born a Jew. And people, and we've talked about this before, there's, there's such a misunderstanding, even in our day. You know, a, a Jew never thought, well, I'm going to go do these sacrifices so I could become a Jew. No, it was never about keeping the law so that you could become a Jew. It's always been by faith. Always been by faith. And, and we need to see that even today. It's always by faith. But he says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to, to Israel. You see, as much as Paul loves his kinsmen, and as much as he loves the people of that nation, and as much as he has this unceasing anguish in his heart for them, he will not compromise the Word of God. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. He said, he, I will not compromise the Word of God. The Word of God has not failed. They were just never of Israel. You know, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, you know, and certainly this is the closest we could ever come to that. To love them to the point that we would desire to take their place and be a curse for them that's the closest we could ever come to that picture of loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I, I want, I, I'm God. If I could, I would take their place, so that so that I would be accursed, and then they would have, they would know you as I do it. But as much as we love our neighbors, we can never, we must never love them to the point that we will be willing to compromise the word of God. The Word of God will not fail. It still stands. It's still, this is the truth. And so Paul, as he lays this out, as he goes through Romans chapter 9, and as he, as he teaches just what this means, what, what does it mean to them and to us? The Word of God, he said, is absolutely sovereign and absolutely right. You know, and, and we read this, and come away from here knowing that Paul couldn't die for them. He couldn't, he couldn't take their place. But Christ could. And that's our only hope. And that, that, that's it. There is only one salvation. It is only found in Jesus Christ. And it only comes through His substitutory death. He had to take our curse on Him for us. 
And this is the message. But I hope, and I, you know, hope as, as we come away from this message, let's look at our hearts. When we look around the world and we see those lost, when we, when we, when we turn on the news and we see, you know, the people rioting, carrying signs for Black Lives Matter, we get angry. Do we get upset? Or does our heart break for them? How would it be if, 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 if somebody could say, if we could say, I, before God is my witness, I have anguish in my heart for them. Because they are so trapped in darkness. They are so trapped in darkness. As much as we, we love the story and then praise God for the one who stands, you know, what about the, the whole rest of the sidelines who kneeled to something other than Jesus Christ? Does our heart break with anguish for him? You know, I think there is a, a real temptation to compromise the, the gospel, to compromise the truth of the gospel. And, and primarily over love, I, I had a, a friend of mine a few years ago that he and I worked together and we, were, we served together at church and, and we'd go to a lot of uh, uh, churches or to funerals together. And, uh, and it's not, not funny, but you know, how, you know how young men are when we would kind of make a bet over how long it would take the uh, the preacher to preach that person to heaven, no matter what their life was like, you know. Whatever we we had a, a guy, and what what really kind of hit home to us so hard was we had a a, a man that we had went to visit, and we, we went and sat down with him to share with him about Christ. Uh, he was on a church roll and and had made a profession of faith when he was you know raised his hand in Bible school when he was seven. He was 48 years old, and we called him one day when just sort of drunk, you know. And he said, "I don't anything to do. I don't." I he said, "He's all that just junk, and I mean, just just nothing. Had nothing to do with it." About a week and a half later, he uh, was walking outside of his house and and slipped and fell and and hit his head and he died. And went to that funeral, you know, as, as part of the church and just visit him. I'll never forget how the how the pastor well, but. He made a profession of faith when he was eight, so I know he's in heaven now. And I thought, oh, how about the gospel of this changed life? You know, that's not the answer. The answer is not to compromise the gospel, no matter how much we love them. The answer is to pray for them and to share the truth of Scripture.